This is uh, Joshua Bell with the Kilt and the Cloth with my Tuesday morning Bible study as we continue reading, as I call it, the small books of the New Testament. We are uh, talking specifically today about the book of 1 Peter. Um, it's it's kind of a cool book in the sense that it uh, is the first letter of Peter, and it's, as most commentaries talk about it, it's one of the most beautiful and uh, the the language that they use in most is compelling. Um, the interesting thing about First Peter is, and and uh, I, I want to kind of break this down a little bit as far as when you read the New Testament. There's a there's a couple ways to read books in the New Testament that we tend to forget. Again, you all have the information that there's a God that uh, we call Father or Creator. You all know that there's a son that you call Savior or Lord, and you all have a Holy Spirit. So you have a very uh, a very deep understanding of, theologically of what those things mean. In the first and second century, they didn't. They didn't have that all figured out. They were still trying to figure out what Jesus really was. Like they wanted to understand how did Jesus operate in their life as Jews? Um, how did they operate in as Gentiles? I mean, I mean, I want you to think about it in the sense of if Jesus had come to us today, and let's say Cindy writes a book about her experience with Jesus, what would it look like? I mean, it, it's it, it's in her words, it's in her experience, it's it's how it's put together, but it's not going to be the same as say Karen's or Kim's or Robert's. You know, it's it's going to be her own experience. So first Peter, for example, has a very high Christology like this. Jesus is this person that is different than anything else in the, in the gospel. Um, we tend to believe that this was most likely a first century uh, author. Um, but it's really, it's really debated um mainly because of how well it's thought out you know we we talk about this a lot but we never really kind of dig deep into it but remember that this is happening so fast um that in the first century as these things are being written again you also have an institution of baptism that they they still don't know what to do with um you you have an institution of worship like a, a, an actual practice and it might not look the same as everybody around you, but you have a practice of worship. They they have no idea. All they know is, is what they've known their whole lives. And if they're Gentiles or if they're Jews, that, that practice looks different now. And they're trying to figure that out. Um, there's some interesting things because it references Peter's own experience. The part that's really hard here is, is that... Uh, the Greek here is extremely sophisticated, which would make it really hard to say that it was a first century Palestinian fisherman, <laughs> right? They, they, it, it would, it would, it could make sense if somebody was scribing Peter's own experience, but for him to physically write would, it would make it really hard. Um, and I'm, I am talking about Peter, the uh, disciple here. It's very doubtful that he could write. It's very doubtful he could write. Very doubtful. Um, but, but it, most likely it was probably written in Peter's name, which was a very common practice. There's nothing wrong with this. It still has the same meaning. It's so it would be like Cindy's experience in the name of Peter, which is, which was common. That's, that's not a bad thing. Um, but in our world that crosses over copyright and plagiarism, <laughs> Um, were we still and, under? Or were they still under Roman yes. Empire? When did the Roman Empire end? Uh, around four hundred, and I mean oh, that's wow. You start to see the decline <laughs> of Rome. I I say uh, around the end of four hundred, uh, in the end of four hundreds, mainly because they, it got so large that they couldn't contain themselves. Um, there's a point when your your taxes wouldn't even pay for the roads that they were already trying to build. You know, that's, there's a lot of speculation as to when Rome officially starts to die. The interesting thing is 
the theologians always love to say as soon as Constantine declared Christianity as the the religion of the empire, it changed because uh, Christianity is not about power of humans, right? It's about godly power. It's about taking care of one another. Uh, Rome doesn't do that well. So all of the, the, the New Testament books were written under, written during the Roman Empire. Very much so. Okay. Very much so. As a matter of fact, we believe that Rome is probably the possible origin of this letter, that the that this was most likely written in Rome at the time. Uh, he, The reason that we know this is he refers to the sister church of Babylon, uh, which is most likely, um, they usually use this as slang against the first century church in, in Jerusalem. So re remember how this works. If, if we do it this way, the church is built upon Peter. Peter at some point has to get to Rome whether it's his body, his bones, whatever, his physical being, he has to get to Rome. Um, so whether that's a part of the, the mythos of who Peter is or how Peter is created, doesn't really matter. Most scholars believe this, this book was most likely written in Rome at the time of the first century. So is there any indication of why he's in Rome? Not really. Okay, I just, I, I'm going to back up to me when you say the church is going to be built on Peter, I would have thought Israel, and I would have thought he would have been the one that didn't get very far mm -hmm. away from that, only because that's where Jesus was from, that's where, sure. I mean, you know, that's where it all started. Um, anyway, I was just curious, I understand why some or part of him has to end up in Rome because they decide that's where the church is yeah. going to be built. I mean, you know, or that's anyway, that's where it happens. The, uh, the interesting thing about this is this is not written in a way that it's specifically written to a group of people. It's about first Peter's experience, which is different than Paul's letters. Right. So Paul's specifically his audience is different than first and second Peter's is going to be. This is here's kind of my gospel. This is how I experience God through Jesus Christ. But then he he talks to people in his letter. But it's not it's not like I uh, to the first church of Thessalonica, you know, it, it, so the that's why it's also hard for us to look at it this way, because. Paul Paul writes in such a different way than this book is. So like 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 you, mm, slow down, Josh. So like let me give you an example. To date this book is really hard. Um, scholars have really struggled with this as far as when it was written. Could it have been first century? Could it have been second century? Uh, more lean towards the second century because we know that it's mentioned by Tertullian, you know. Uh, it's mentioned by Polycarp. We these are authors of the second century, so we as far as dating it, it becomes hard, and that is even more complicated because then we we don't know uh, who the real audience is. We just know where it was written, which is different than anything that Paul was Paul has written or the Gospels for that matter. My commentary calls it a circular letter. Yes, because well, it's to the to the dispersed. Yeah, so it's another diasporic book um, to those that have left Jerusalem and now is being called Babylon. You know, it's 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 a it's a thing. Um, My commentary also referenced uh, five twelve, which says something about Silas writing the letter or helping write the letter. Yeah, I mean, so even in the letter, it says that he's. Have, or he has help writing it. He's definitely having help writing because he his hand. It says something about his handwriting. I think. I think the uh, the other part is is that this is this is definitely this is different than any of the other things that you would read in the New Testament in the sense that uh, it's very transparent. This is my mission. 
Paul's very transparent also. Like, I'm writing to you this way to say this, but he, he is saying the focus of First Peter, which is why you hear more, you'll hear a lot of sermons written about it, as well as the book of James, because it talks about Christian living, which is also why it leans more towards the second century. Because by this point, if in the second century, we now have a lifestyle. Baptism is being commonly practiced. We know that for a fact. We know anthropologically and archaeologically that baptism was happening in the second century. Maybe not in the middle of the first century, but definitely in the second century. There's a lifestyle here that's being claimed by First Peter that was not claimed by all of these people in the first century. Um, this person is assuring the audience of the promises. Uh, the community is to live a life of integrity. Uh, you know, just just the language of it is 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 very it's reminiscent of Pauline language, but at the same time, it's it's in, it's way more institutionalized, where Paul is infancy, right? So, as we as we look at the authorship, it it changes the goals. So, this would imply. So, this is where I go back to the very beginning. It makes it really hard to be written by a a first century Palestinian fisherman who hung out with Jesus on a daily basis. Cause we know he was already old at the time that he was hanging out with Jesus. It would make it really hard for him to be over a couple hundred, uh, over a hundred years old. If this was written in the second century, because the average lifespan wouldn't have made it that far, you know, and we, and we know at some point he dies. <laughs> so, no, when he dies. Uh, well, that's also under a lot of speculation. So, well, my, my commentary gives a range, but it also fits into, uh, it says 64 to 68. So it fits in with Nero. Yeah, yeah, that would make sense. The burning. Yeah. You know, the, it, it just fits in with everything. So I don't know if they're just tying up a nice, neat package or, you know, if, they're, if they really have good dates on it. But my commentary also said that uh, when Rome burned, it's kind of when Christians became activated. Well, yeah. become, yeah, a known entity. Before yeah. that, they were just part of uh, Judaism, which was legal. Nero has to have a scapegoat. So now he blames them. He blames them. And they are an entity, among, or I mean, a known entity at that time. It's, it's, it's fascinating that your commentary brings that up because one of the things that happens with Nero is, is that he spurs this hatred towards Christians that follows him so after nero you know we like i said the the culture believes that nero beheads paul right in, in a public way some part of the scholarly circles say he did the same thing with peter uh it's a little bit more of a stretch there but let's just stick with that urban legend nero nero dies we go into the future a little ways domitian another emperor does the exact same thing. He publicly kills Christians on purpose. And now the as as uh, Robert pointed, it, it activates this, well, who are these Christians and why are they needing to be killed with Nero? Domitian makes it even more complicated. And then Emperor Trahan, I, I think he's what, 112? It says 97 to 117. All of a sudden now during Trahan's reign, uh, reign, you're seeing all kinds of persecution against Christians. And then in, in now we're in the second century, which is, you know, if, in our previous Bible studies, they said you don't see actual martyrs of Christians until the second century. And it's after the reign of Trahan where they start rolling, they, they lay down their bodies as the Roman empire rolls over the top of them, you know, um, that, that they willingly stand in front of a Roman soldier to get sliced down this is your audience. This is why it's such a big deal that first Peter talks about Christology, living as Christ. Uh, so the language is going to be very animated. Um, Second Peter is going to be also very animated. It's a very quick book, but it's designed to be passed around. Um, and uh, so it's got to be fast, right? So we need to be able to read this at our supper table and pass it on to the next supper table. Does that make sense? Uh, I know it sounds really weird, but now we're talking logistics. Um, you know, we, we, I know we've talked before, but 
most of these scrolls, by the way, are about the width of your thigh and on a piece of paper that's probably about that big. Um, when when I saw the Dead Sea Scrolls in Jerusalem, it's they were like this big and uh, it depends on on which scroll it was. But most of these texts were were like, you know, about four inches by four inches. And they were extremely small because, you know, someone's writing with a feather quill, you know, and there's no punctuation. That's why the words all blur together. And it's literally written on their thigh because that they didn't have tables like you all have today. That's a European construct. They had this little footstool that they put their thing on. And sometimes they'd have a wood piece that they'd st sit on their thigh. But remember, these people are super poor, so they didn't even have that. So you used your thigh as your table. And so almost all of the old texts are, you know, about four inches by four inches. And sometimes they'll be longer depending on the scroll, but they're still only four inches because it's got to fit on your thigh. And so when you roll it, you roll it from the bottom and they're, they're about that long, you know, um, and it, that's it. So, um, so this is one of those books. This is one of those really small, I can pass it without being seen types of things. So them having scrolls like you see and, you know, <laughs> the teachers up there. And yeah. That, that's not how it is, huh? Not, not during this time. So as time progressed, well, the Torah in, in Jewish temples and synagogues is always very <laughs> ornamented. And so it's, I mean, they are huge, but that's because you've got five books in this thing. And so when you roll it out, it's going to be huge. But in Hebrew, uh, it's the same idea and they, and they figured out a way to do that, but it's not, it, there's also still not very big. The scroll of Isaiah that that's literally in the, uh, what are they? Well, it's the Dead Sea Scroll Museum. You don't actually get to see it, but they have it laid out for you. And it's, it's a little bit bigger. It's about that wide. Um, and, uh, but it's extremely long. They would just attach another piece of papyrus or whatever that paper is, vellum on the bottom of it, and and off they go. It was amazing. And then you just roll it up, stick it in the thing. Uh, and that's it. They would have had somebody, had to have somebody that could read for these letters to be any good. I mean, I'm saying the majority of the people couldn't read. Well, so they're being sent to somebody who can hand read. Who can hand read, right, because there's two parts of the culture. There's those that can write, that kind of know what it sounds like, and then there's those that who can read it. it you know, and I know this sounds really weird. It took me a long time to figure this out, but think, having somebody who could read and write doesn't happen for three or four centuries after this. Because who has the power? The person who can read the words and make them happen on by hand? Or is it the one that can uh, write the words and change the course of history as they're reading them out loud? It took me a while to figure out that, and I'm just going to say Nero, a lot of these people could read. Yes. But very few of them could write. That's right. I mean. That's why it's why I always mention this when we're in the middle of Bible studies is like, well, this person wrote this because there's a handful of them. So the author of First Peter is. This is amazing because there's only a handful of people that are actually being able to write. So. All right. Any other questions before we begin, because it's going to go fairly quick today. My 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 goal is to to get to chapter two. We. Uh, get through chapter two, but that's not going to happen. <laughs> Here we begin. <clears throat> Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, and who have been chosen and destined by God the Father and sanctified by the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and to be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in abundance. So just right off the bat, this is a different, ex uh, hello, how's it going? Um, <laughs> you know, Peter always does this, but he, uh, he, he, 
he's not this specific. And and listen to that language. And sanctified by the Spirit. Again, we don't have a solidified idea of what the Spirit of God is really in the middle of the first century. Um, then And then he says, to be sprinkled with his blood. That is a theological concept, if I've ever heard one, that has been thought out. Um, what is it that we do as Christians, right? Like, what is what is Jesus for us? Well, now, this this blood atonement theology is really have been thought out and is now being taught. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, by His great mercy has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of uh, of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven uh, for you. New thought, by the way. Who were being protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, even if now for a little while you have had to suffer various trials so that the genuineness of your faith being more precious than gold, that though perishable is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Although you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy. For you are receiving the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that was to be yours made careful search and inquiry, inquiring about the person or time that the spirit of Christ within them indicated when it testified in advance to the sufferings destined for Christ and the subsequent glory. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, uh, in regard to the things that you have now been announced to you through those who brought you good news by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. That's a lot right there. <laughs> it's, that's a huge amount. <clears throat> the Spirit has been moved up a notch. It's in Holy Spirit. Yeah. Now we got Holy Spirit. It was kind of, to me, it was kind of vague as, and I'm just going to say the Trinity earlier when they speak of spirit. Mm -hmm. They even spoke of spirit of Jesus. But to me, when they right there at the end, it becomes an entity <clears throat> of, unto itself. Yes. Notice there's a conversation about heaven. Theologically, this is a, a new concept for them. They don't, they never had this conversation before. It doesn't say directly. It, it says that they are going to store mm -hmm. something in heaven. For mm -hmm. Your inheritance is stored yeah. in heaven. Mm -hmm. There, out there would be an, a large assumption, and I know I'm speaking a few years later, but if I read that, that oh, there's some I'm going to get to go to heaven. That's what I'm trying to, or where I'm headed at. Right. There's no reason to have an inheritance if I can, if if I can't claim it. But even though it's it's preaching doom and gloom, to me it's a very positive. I mean, even though you're suffering now, like y'all were talking about before we got into it, it's the whole it's the whole church. I mean, you know, there 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 is a reason to persevere. There is a reason to follow Jesus's teachings. Yeah, the whole world's a mess, but this soldier on. That's right. Um, I can see why it would be hard for them to grasp. It's sometimes hard for us to grasp, let alone that they had nothing. And to think that they might have an inheritance. And and it goes right directly, this inheritance idea goes directly to verse nine. Now we have a phrase that is different than anything that we've had before. 
you are receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So the inheritance that they're speaking of is a soul that you now have. It's been saved. This is this is hard. Um, I mean, way hard for us today. We I think that word salvation gets thrown around like it's candy. Um, and then and then he says, well, here's what can salvation is. This is what the prophets prophesied of grace that was to be yours. Made careful research and uh, and in uh, search and inquiry research. Sorry, search and inquiry by inquiring about who this Jesus is. So do you think the soul part for the Jewish people at that time is that same as uh, the breath of God? I mean, because when they're in show, there's no... Right. So there's a theological shift that's obviously taking place. So... Do do what is the the meaning of being in shul at this point? Well, Jesus says something different than that. Now, first Peter saying, "Oh, Peter's saying something different." Everyone that evidently this this is the part that's fascinating to me. Everyone that is hanging out with Jesus or listening to people that hung out with Jesus now have a different idea of what happens when we die. That it's okay to die, and they're not dying in vain. Even though you're suffering and you're dying and life is awful and you're watching all of this tragic stuff happen to your family and your friends and there's literally nothing you can do here on earth. God will take care of you after death. And this, I'm biting my tongue here, this is not a new concept nope. for the world. Nope. I mean, for the Jewish people, yes, but for the there is entity uh, Egypt, afterlife, afterlife. That's one of all the monies. I mean, you know. Yeah, if you're rich. Yeah. If, if you're rich, you you get to have the afterlife. Uh, you yeah. know, if you've made enough donations. Yeah, that's this, where I was headed. I mean, there. It's not a concept that they are not aware of, but it's opened up mm -hmm. to everybody that follows Jesus. And and this guy is saying that the living hope we have is is by searching to understand Christ. We 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 gain that inheritance, and to me, the world we live in today is no different than the world they lived in then. We have different issues, but I I look at everything going. How did we get to this point? Why do I even? And I don't. Mm -hmm. I've, I've told people I've turned TV off. I do not watch it anymore. I will I will watch local news on occasion, but national news is just it's awful. It's, there's no, there's nothing out there that I benefit from listening to. Well, I think the part that, that connects us to this is uh, like my sub topic, which I don't typically say out loud is, is that mine says a living hope that we have the ability to live this hope because of Jesus even in the midst of all of the suffering that we see around us. They didn't have national news, but they knew it. They knew that they knew that this was, if it's happening to us, it's happening to someone else. Diana, it looked like you were going to say something. No. <laughs> okay. Didn't want to, I didn't want to go past you. So, so if we've got this idea and, and now we're changing theology, right? We're, where we're thinking something different happens, then there has to be a, a way of living that out while we still have breath. This this ruach is not in vain. So, for example, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Sorry, let me do that again. In verse 13, I'm going to begin. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Discipline yourselves. Set all of your hope on the grace that Jesus Christ will bring you when he is revealed. Like obedient ch children, do not be conformed to the desires that you formerly had in ignorance. Instead, as he who called you is holy, be holy yourselves in all your conduct. For it is written, 
you shall be holy for I am holy. Uh, that's in Leviticus. I'm trying to remember. 19.2. Thank you. It's Leviticus 19.2. This, uh, which which is kind of awesome because this is in the in the midst of, of <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to say this. Peter obviously knows Torah. Again, we have this person that knows Torah. Shocking. But in this little section, 18 through 21, these are calls to the Jewish people uh, for reverence in their aspects of worship. So it makes sense that they say these things because this is God's voice speaking. Does that make sense? Sorry, I didn't mean to make that a rabbit trail, but it's, it's a big deal to call upon God speaking. These are his words. Uh, if, if you invoked as father, the one who judges all people impartially, I'm in verse 17, according to their deeds, live in reverent fear during the time of your exile. You know that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ or blood of Christ. Sorry. Like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. He was destined before the foundation of the world. You see how deep this theology is. This this is this has been thought out. <laughs> this is not OK. Jesus has died. What do we do now? Right. Somebody has had a lot of conversations. Um, so now we've got just listen to that precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. The only one that's used that way is as a blood offering. You see this blood atonement theology. What are you going to say, Kim? Well, I was going to ask, did Peter then did he know the Torah? Oh, I yeah, mean, absolutely. So yeah. he was when he, when he was little, he was taught up through the Torah. Yes. And they all know. Okay. Uh, so like, think of it this way. We all, when we were kids, had to memorize John 3.16. Mm -hmm. They had to memorize all of Torah. That was part of their thing. Uh, and depending on where you were in Hebrew or sometimes wherever it was, different language. It's another conversation for a different day. But uh, they had to memorize this. So uh, the offerings specifically, which is why it's so fascinating that Jesus gets mad at the temple. It's not just about the money changers. It's because they know better. They've been taught this since birth, that when you do an offering, you do this a certain way. And they decided to defile not just God, but themselves in such a way that it's not uh, appropriate. Um, so it's 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 fascinating. So here, here it is. Peter would have had that same idea. Whether it's the Peter or another Peter, it doesn't really matter. If you grew up with this, Jesus is now, this theology is being changed here. With the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without defect or blemish, had to have been something that someone had known since birth. So Jesus then becomes what? We use it all the time. It's Jesus is a sacrifice. Jesus then becomes a sacrifice. What do we call Jesus sometimes? The Lamb of God. The Lamb of God. That's where this comes from. Every time that you say that, it came from this passage of scripture. Don't know if you ever knew that or not, but that's this is where that comes from. It gets it keeps going, right? So he says, then he was destined before the foundation of the world, but was revealed at the end of the ages. Should be age, but what does your say? Ages? Last days. Last days. Um in verse twenty twenty. Last of the times. Times, chrono. yeah. Chrono. Mine says, but mine's been a whole lot different than what you've been reading. Yeah. Uh, what, what, what is your translation? Mine is New Revised Standard. Most um, of the time, I can follow almost, and it's just one word or two. But it, this, this one's almost like half the words in six. Which one do you have? It's NIV. And NIV is, is, is a good translation. It's just, it's just a different focus. Um, oh, the the words mean the same thing. Yeah. But, but they're, I mean, usually they're just one word. 
these are like half of the sentences are different words. Yeah, and and First Peter is fascinating this way because like here it says ages, but really in the Greek it's it's the time. Remember, anytime that you see that in the New Testament, they're talking about the time that they find themselves at that moment. Like when we read the book of Revelation, it says, and at, at the end of this age, or at the end of this age, it's it's literally referring to you remember Nero doing this yesterday? It's the end of this age. Mark 13, at the end of this time, at the destruction of the temple. You know, I mean, it's, and 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 we can interpret that theologically to mean that to us in a different way, which is totally fine. That's, there's a whole process of the uh, systematic theology that allows us to do that. However, at this point, they're talking a specific time. Here's what's happening at the end of the age or time for your sake. And I'm at verse 21 through him. You have come to trust in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope is that hope. Um, Elpida. Elpida are set on God. Now, now that you have purified your souls by your obedience to the, is that truth? Is that truth? All I say it. Yeah, that, it says truth. Yeah, it's true. And I didn't look it up. I don't guess. Yeah, that's true. So that you may have genuine mutual love. Uh, is this agape? It's brotherly love. Uh, Philadelphia. Philadelphia. And then love one another deep, deeply from the from the heart. You have been born anew, not of perishable, but of imperishable seed, through the living and enduring logos. Um, Word of God. Yes, love. love. Okay. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Does that sound familiar? Isaiah 40. <laughs> I was going to say it's Isaiah 40. We've all heard this passage before. The word is the good news. That should be Lolo as again. And the. Um, Frama. Frama. Okay. That, that matters. Frama. The, the word is the good news that was announced to you. So, and the, that's beyond evangelism. To the, to the people. So here, here's something I was pointing out with the Greek that was kind of important. You know, I always talk about there's three forms of the word love in the, in the New Testament. Oh, okay. In the New Testament. Uh, and this is one of those. So this, this philos or Philadelphia is, is designed. The Philadelphia part is the brothers. Right. Philos, the love. philos is the love. So it's, it's usually attached with a family con construct. And then when you have agape, it's a different type of definition. Like it should be a different type of a, a definition. So here he's talking about the strong knit community. That's really important for you to hear that uh, in the Greek. And then at the end here, the, 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 lo the logo or the word of God is literally God speaking. If they change it to what was it, Frema? Frema. 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 Pro. Okay. Pro. It's what we do with the it's the Rama Church in Broken Arrow, Tulsa. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's the the Word of God. Rama is the, we use this for. I'm using the slang version of the Greek. <laughs> <laughs> like for real, I am not proper. It is not proper. That's why we have Sally. <laughs> not joking. So. Rama, you know, there's a Rama Bible church. This is that Rama here in verse 25. This is the the word of God, and this is more again designed uh, to the community, which is uh, the the last word of that phrase is the you umos. You, you umos. So you've got this this to the community of people. So this is a huge passage of scripture that is really deep theologically. Like you just summarized all of the gospel of John in like five verses <laughs> or six verses. That's, that's how big and deep this is. Now, but John obviously does not approve of this. And so decides to write a whole bunch of stuff. And, and then and several people write the book of John. So it makes it even more complicated. But uh, in this, in, in this moment, here's what you all need to know. You know, Jesus is this lamb, this sacrifice, the, You've come to trust in God. Why? Well, because Jesus rose from the dead. And now you have souls. Oh, my goodness. And they're purified. And you've been saved. Why do you know this? 
Well, because Isaiah said so. You all knew this from back in the day. I mean, it's brilliant, brilliant writing, you know. Um, but then, and then at the same time, the, the person that's writing this is brilliant with the way that they use Greek. Like here it is as a community. And this is, this is why you have to work together. You, you live in hope together because we get to live together doing this in, in the same places. Um, and we're not alone. That's awesome. It's a huge, huge sermon. It's like a New York bestseller <laughs> yeah uh i mean it's it's the it's one of the most popular books in the first and second century i think it's interesting that the just i like language but the the word they use for foreknowledge which is what gets translated into destined oh yeah is progno prognosis prognosis which we use for the combination of a disease yeah the that's prognosis right is going to be yeah this was prognosed <laughs> well and 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 correct me if I'm wrong, Sally, but what, didn't this also uh, prognosis is like a, a it was foreknowledge foreknowledge, but yeah, like are you saying foreknowledge like f o r e knowledge? Yes. Okay, okay. that's why I made, wanted to make sure I was right. Yeah. So previous knowledge, previous knowledge, which is is really important. Again, uh, this is why First Peter's could not have been written by a first century Palestinian <laughs> fisher person, <laughs> right? Like, there's no way. But you want to attribute the church being founded. Sure. I mean, I'm just going to say we want to. There you go. <laughs> Most important <laughs> phrase in that, Robert, is we want the church to be founded upon Peter. Yeah. And we're going to we're going to create this image because Jesus said so upon this, this Petros. Rock, I will build my church. That's right. I'm going to build this church. And, so. you know, it's. You said it earlier, but but after just reading this, it's obvious that uh, Paul was writing to individuals, addressing individual in, individual churches, addressing individual issues. Mm -hmm. Peter starts off, he names all of these countries, mm -hmm. we're assuming that's what they are, provinces, whatever they are, mm -hmm. states, provinces, anything you want to call them. They're, they said centered or basically Turkey. Mm-hmm. But he's, you know, when he addresses all of them, it's a, it says in it, but it's us. Yeah, it's the all believers of Jesus. This is what we need to be doing. And since he's not addressing a issue, he's establishing the theology of, of what's going on here, which almost makes me think you got somebody removed from <laughs> you know not peter but you have somebody removed i would think peter would be uh, you know this is what jesus did this is what i saw mm -hmm. you know, this is what i i witness support yeah and that's this is not that's, this isn't written that way no it's definitely not it's a it's a call to action it's in and that's extremely different than anything that we've read before right I think the the part that's hard here um, is is that in a call to action in the first and second century, it was also a also use your brain. Like I'm calling out these groups of people, but maybe that's because I'm not anywhere near them, <laughs> right? Like they they hey guys, I know you're all the way over here. Let me write this to you, but over here where I am, I'm not saying any of this. You know, I, I'm not going to I'm not going to die, uh, but, but I might die on that cross like this is this is there. there is a sense of humanity in this. Uh, look, so does Peter have to be crucified? I mean, Paul it, had Paul got beheaded. Peter's crucified. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard. I mean, why does Andrew have to get hung upside down? Like, I guess or cr back crucified upside down back to theology mm -hmm. i mean i don't know what the romans were doing at that point in time but there had to be a reason you know i guess paul roman citizen quick mm -hmm. I, I want us to think about as we keep reading this this idea of symbols um this symbology that that comes around jesus and our faith there's there's a 
I, when I was in seminary, I took this, we have to take this class called constructive theology. And uh, in the Christian church, disciples of Christ, we, there are, there are multiple schools of thought of how you create your understanding of Jesus. There's a process called systematic theology that was created a long time ago by the, I like to call them the Niebuhr brothers. Um, and, and they um, come up with this idea of there's a system of how Jesus lived. And by the time that you die, this is what happens. Like it's very Methodist. I mean, the Wesleys absolutely teach systematic theology. Luther uh, teaches a form of systematic theology, you know, uh, constructive theology, however, is how do I take all of these ideas or these symbols and then I construct an idea of what it is that we believe. So for example, when I was in seminary, I had to read this book called uh, The Theology of a Cross. Did Jesus have to physically die on a cross in, in order for us to have a savior? Um, he doesn't really come up with an answer in the book, right? Like it's, but basically I had to create my theological understanding of Jesus based on a cross, uh, or my own symbology. Like what is, what is my belief in God? Um, I, I have a tendency to, and this is going to sound like I'm confessing to you all, but I have a, I have a stronger, uh, focus in on God as a creator, then I have uh, a focus in on Christ. So I, but my professor would say, I'm a, a, a Jewish rabbi trapped in a, an Irish poet's body. <laughs> so he, he, he would say, he would say that I have this focus in on creation, this breath of God stuff, which you all have figured out. But at the same time, I connect, connect it to nature and uh, an understanding of God through Jesus as an image for me to walk in the same footsteps of. So for me, a cross um, became problematic because it was a is a symbol of the empire, not of what Jesus represented. Yeah, I thought he had to die. It's just that the Romans at that time <clears throat> were killing people on crosses. Yeah, yeah, and so this this becomes the problem, right? So if do I believe that? Do I have to believe that? Uh, well, look, we know that he dies on a cross, but is that where my focus has to be, or do I need to focus in on how he lived? There was a. But we uh, take our focus. It's it's right there on the altar. Sure it is. Switch. <laughs> we don't have an altar. <laughs> it's right there on the table. Yeah, that's right. We, we we don't have an altar, but we have a communion table. That's right. There was a, uh, a, a stuff that went around seventies or eighties with the. Uh, if Jesus was shot by a, 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 a rifle, would you wear a rifle around your neck? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a it's a great question. It's a great question. At so, Easter time, I have a hard. I focus on the cross, and it's not really until Sunday that I think of the resurrection. Mm -hmm. But even on Sunday, I still think of the cross and good friday mm -hmm. I, I can't get that image out of my mind well we and 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 as i say that I, I we design our whole theological understanding of easter towards that cross right like it's it's on purpose but at the end of the day we focus in on it being empty so therein lies why peter has to be on there cross. it is so in the the culture of the church, we focus in on Peter because we know there's a physical Peter dying on a cross because we have to have that physical representation of him physically dying. He doesn't come off that cross like Jesus, Jesus. does. Oh, okay. Peter does. Peter does not. Jesus does. But Peter's us. Who Jesus said the church would be built on. So that's right. Would that be our a human need for closure? That's exactly when somebody's it. Somebody's body is lost and you don't know if they're alive or dead or what happened to them. Yep. The family is left without closure and and our need to have the cross or something mm -hmm. tangible mm -hmm. gives us closure. And and it's perfectly okay. Like it's it's all right to have those moments of closure 
the trick then becomes, do I put my focus in on this inanimate object? Or as Peter is suggesting, do I focus in on how do I live in the midst of that? Uh, now that I have this, whatever closure is, right, for Jesus' sake, like Jesus, first Peter's got this really cool, beautiful thing about now that my inheritance is going to be my soul being in heaven with Jesus or something like that. I've got salvation now. I've got, uh, he used to, I think I saw grace, but I probably don't. It's probably embedded in my theology, but, but then there's this. No, it has grace. It did. Okay. Thank grace you. and peace be yours and abundance. It's at the beginning, right? Yeah, at the beginning. May grace and peace be yours in abundance. But then there was a place. It's in it's in here later. Okay. Maybe that's where I'm at. I'm I'm jumping the gun. No, I mean it's in what we read. Is it? Good. Because I, I thought I was going crazy. It would be er. Plural. That's uh, crazy er. Thank you. <laughs> With what you're grace. saying, Josh. Verse 10. One ten. Grace. Yeah. The grace. That was to be yours, made careful search and inquiry. So, like, there's a there's a sense of grace here that they've never had before. So, you can <clears throat> you can die on the cross as Peter did, mm -hmm. but you still have everlasting life. I mean, you, you can't conquer the you can't conquer Rome, but you don't have to worry. There it is. So now, so now this person is creating this theological <laughs> construct for the people to understand that. Up until this point, you died, you went to Shoal. That's it. Now your death is not in vain. There's a salvation part to this. There's a inheritance in heaven. There's this inheritance with God. And but again, there's a focus of and when you live. You live as as Isaiah would say, all flesh is like grass and all its glories are like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Like that, that's on purpose. Like I don't care who you are. That's pretty stinking awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to stop there. It's 10 o'clock. Uh, it's going to get even more theologically deep, if that's even physically possible, but it's, it's going to get amazing. Uh, I'm guessing this is the one you have highlighted the most, right? Yeah. My page is all, my page is all written over. And, and it's going to be really important too, because the Greek here is, is, is really, uh, different than anything else that we've read. So with that being said, we're going to go ahead and stop the recording.